Right. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to this uh, very interesting session. I'm very excited to, uh, to have a, a 60 minute session with all of you to talk about Redis Enterprise and the variety of use cases that it's been used across the globe. Very exciting to have uh, fellow panelists from three very diverse companies. I'll give you a perspective on both the size of enterprises and the various industries where Redis Enterprise is used. We've got C.H. Robinson and Jeremy Dixon from C.H. Robinson. It's a company that's over 100 years old. Um, it's a Fortune 500 company. It's a logistics le leader globally. And J Jeremy is a senior database administrator. He's been a database professional for over 20 years, focusing on performance, sustainability, and recoverability of data solutions. Jeremy currently leads the implementation of data solutions at the company, ensuring the solutions meet the current and future requirements. And we'll talk a bit more about that, uh, as well as help drive the administrative cost down. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. Then we have uh, Intuit, uh, which I think, uh, how many of you are familiar with TurboTax or QuickBooks? Yes, of course. Uh, Bill Schuler, who is uh, was an architect at uh, Intuit, he currently oversees the Context Center technology platform, uh, which cuts across uh, the company. And he's recently helped SmartLook, uh, bring SmartLook to TurboTax, a feature that allows customers to get frictionless expert advice within the product with live video and screen sharing. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. And finally, we have uh, Scopely. Uh, you may or may not know the name Scopely. How many of you know the name Wheel of Fortune? And, and there are many of the games, and, uh, and, and we'll hear from Avram. So Avram uh, Line is the head of engineering uh, for the publishing side of the house at Scopely. He's been there for about six years and has helped to grow the company from just 15 people to now running eight studios around the world. Uh, he works with the studios and internal teams to develop reliable, scalable systems for a wide range of game genres. Welcome, Arun. Uh, with that introduction, let me dive right into the presentation. Uh, we'll, we'll have each one of them come in and talk about uh, each of their implementation of Redis Enterprise, why did they select Redis Enterprise, and the benefits they got, and you'll get a perspective. Uh, but also the context prior to that, and then we'll have time for Q&A at the, at the end. Um, so Redis Enterprise for large-scale deployments. Uh, we've, we've talked through this. I do have a raffle that we will do at the end of the session. Uh, so uh, all of you who are here, you are uh, entered into the raffle, and uh, we'll go through. We have uh, an Apple Series 3 watch uh, for your uh, participation today. Let me begin by just setting the context on the world we live in today. Uh, you know, I, I tend to believe we are in an instant phase of our evolution as a, as a human, as, as a species. And our attention span is decreasing every single day. Uh, studies show that it's less than eight seconds. Some studies show it's less than two seconds, and so on. I'm sure our kids uh, probably have an attention span of, of, of a second or maybe less than a second. Um, and, and when we look at the personalized recommendations that we're used to getting, the conversion rate on whether it's an application, a web, uh, web property, whatever it might be, tend to be much higher when the content is personalized in nature. Uh, other studies talk about hyper-personal. In a mobile environment, unless it's truly, truly meant for me, I'm not going to focus on it, right? So that, that's the world we live in. And, and when you're on, on shopping carts, if things aren't progressing at the rate and, and, and you see the response rates being slow, you tend to abandon and move on, and, and that's the real money that's left on the table. So this is the, the world we live in. Uh, we use Netflix every day, Amazon purchase every day, uh, perhaps get our news feeds or, or certainly communicate with, the, with our uh, networks. And, and we get Uber or Lyft or services. 
all things that require instant response to what we are asking for. And, and, and to deliver that, uh, the, the, the standard sort of the benchmark for it is a 100 millisecond response time from when you requested something to what you get back. Now, that incorporates the entire latency of the network. It also includes any time that you might have from the application to from the servers to the database itself. So if you take 50 milliseconds on the two components there, you're left with almost no budget allocated for the database. In essence, it requires the database to be completely frictionless. And so we, we talk about a millisecond or sub-millisecond latency in the database itself that can support the need of this instant environment that we all live in. Um, Gartner and Forrester have both uh, been talking quite a bit about a hybrid world that we live in, transactions and analytics. Uh, HTAP is Gartner's term, and Translatical is Forrester's term. And, and you can think about a common data pool within which the information that you need to access is available. In, in cases where you need instant response time, it's likely to be in memory. You can use the same data set for transactions or for analytics. And what you see on the right-hand side is the use case where they're actually used in a combined manner, meaning in order to have an informed transaction to be authenticated or to be completed, you need real-time analytics to happen at the same time. So you're doing both transactions and analytics at the same time from that common data pool. And that's an incredibly complex environment to deal with. But that's also an environment where Redis and Redis Enterprise tend to excel in. And, and, and you'll see some of the examples later. Um, so let me um, introduce the company Redis Labs. Uh, we're the company behind the very powerful technology that you all are quite familiar with, uh, which is Redis. And, and Redis has accolades from all sorts of third parties. I've just listed a few. If you go to Docker Hub, you'll find that Redis is the number one database, the maximum number of pulls. It has had over 400 million pulls on Docker Hub, uh, by far the, the most popular. Um, Sumo Logic did a recent survey on AWS infrastructure, the traffic across all databases, uh, NoSQL databases, uh, Redis is number one, uh, and, and you can see the rest as well. So um, it, it's, a, it's a, a technology that's supported and fostered by a very vibrant community. Um, over 1,000, I talked about, you know, translate the polls to 1,000 per minute on, on Docker Hub, uh, a large number of contributors and so on. Um, it's a technology that's also got several very powerful built-in capabilities, and you can see a few of those listed here. And, and at the end of the day, the value proposition by having these native capabilities, it's really time to market. It's a reduction in cost of the resources. It's a reduction in the types of competencies that you need to have in-house to deploy applications that are re relying on the database like, uh, like Redis. It's got several things you can see listed here that are built in natively. And so what we have done at Redis Labs is, in addition to fostering the growth of the open source community, is built an enterprise-grade platform, which we call Redis Enterprise. It's available in multiple deployment modes. You can run it in a public cloud, in your VPC. You can run it as a downloadable software on-premises, uh, and so on. Now, very popular. We have a premium model where you can go in and try a free version of the cloud, um, up to 30 megabytes, and we have over 75,000 uh, accounts that are on, on the Freeman model, of which 7,500 are paying customers that are running database as a service. And, um, and you can see it ranges from, you know, from the Fortune 10 companies all the way down to, uh, to the smaller um, enterprises leveraging Redis. Uh, a few stats here. Over 750 new databases are created every day on Redis Enterprise. And we have seen 
just like any other environment, several node failures over a thousand or so with zero data loss orchestrated. So we talk about high availability as a very important attribute of what Redis Enterprise is about. Um, sampling of examples of uh, uh, companies in various industries. So uh, it's really a horizontal uh, play which serves the needs of companies of all sizes in all industries, regardless of what uh, domain you're in. And you know the built-in capabilities and attributes I talked I showed earlier um, support numerous use cases, whether it's transactional in nature, analytics in nature, operational in nature, or a combination thereof. And because you have the capability to do this wide variety of things, Redis as a primary database, Redis as a message broker, Redis as a cache, are all appropriate in, in, in the environments that, uh, that you, you touch in your uh, businesses. And, and so if you look at the stack where we fit in, Redis and Redis Enterprise, certainly known as the in-memory database, uh, but we have recently introduced ability to balance the workload with Flash, so you can have that RAM as well as a Flash split. Redis Core, which is built on the Redis data structures with enhanced capabilities, which is Redis Enterprise. And then you've got extensions, which we call modules, the ability to take an existing code base, port it onto the Redis data structures, take the benefit of the performance of the data structures, and then seamlessly work as though it was a native function built into the Redis platform. And that's what this is. Uh, and then, as I said, you can deploy for various uh, solutions deployed in any environment that works for you. Um, I'm not going to go through all of these pieces. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to uh, our panelists here, and you'll hear various pieces. But in the context of large-scale deployments, what's important are the attributes of, is it truly able to support the mission-critical attribute, and high availability is top of that. Second piece is, does it have the performance to need as you scale up and not to see the degradation performance with a distributed environment, with a high-scale environment, and certainly do the economics make sense. So I'll touch upon a few of these things. The first one, which we introduced uh, two days ago, uh, is the active-active geodistribution. And, and this is a, uh, an implementation that uh, in the relational world is, is sort of common, everybody appreciates that, but when you're dealing with large, unstructured environment and non-relational world, this is very difficult. And particularly if you're doing that at a sub-millisecond latency, if you're doing it at a very, very large throughput at, at you know, very, very small latencies, uh, this becomes difficult. And we have leveraged something called CRDT, which is uh, conflict-free conflict replicated data types, to achieve fairly intelligent way of, of delivering this um, you know, local latency regardless of what the distribution might look like across, uh, across geography. Uh, it's got built-in conflict resolution, and, and it gives you what's termed as strong eventual consistency. These things come into play when you have got an e-commerce environment, such as a shopping cart that's distributed, and the users are accessing the same data set around the world. You want to make sure that no false proofs are given. You want to make sure that the information presented to somebody in Tokyo is the same as Berlin, as the same as New York, and, and, and you're able to achieve that with, uh, with this particular capability. The, the next thing is performance at scale. Now, if you're familiar with Redis, certainly you know it's known for its performance. But, and, and some of these benchmarks are, are widely known and published in the, in the industry, and you can download it from, from redislabs.com, is throughput at very low latency is certainly very, very clear, and, and many benchmarks exist for that. But to deliver that on a very small footprint is the next piece. 
how economically viable is this? Is this efficient? Does it fit the economic budget within which you have to deal with? And that's what you see on the right-hand side is achieving a million writes, uh, a million operations per second on two servers is, is pretty, pretty impressive. And our customers tend you know, give us uh, that uh, resonance all the time. And just very recently, which is, uh, in fact, you're seeing this for the first time. We have not published this externally yet. We did a, a, a benchmark uh, running up to 10 million operations per second, managing just a hair above million, uh, a million, uh, millisecond late latency on six nodes, as you can see. This is a very, very impressive uh, results if you compare it to any database out there. And this is brand new, brand new benchmarks. The, the next piece that's in here is, uh, is search. You know, we are all, uh, uh, how many of you, as you are using Elasticsearch uh, as your query engine? Great. Very popular and, and, and has done, uh, done very well. What, what we're able to do with Redis, where you can run either the search and query on certainly on the Redis database, but you can also do secondary indexing of any data from any database, pull it into Redis, and then you run the search that's built into as a native capability, and you'll see 5x plus performance enhancement from an Elasticsearch querying capability. And so the performance that comes from the native data structures leads up to services like search, and that's what this chart is indicating. Next thing uh, you know, I mentioned earlier about uh, the ability to balance the workloads between RAM and Flash, there's a lot of optimization and work that's been done to give the economic proposition where if your data sets tend to get very large and running all in memory can be, can be an expensive proposition given the you know, 1 to 10 ratio in cost of flash versus RAM, um, you now have the ability to put keys and hot values in RAM and put the cold values in flash. And this isn't, when you do that, you don't get the entire performance set because of the intelligent memory tiering that we have done. And so you continue to get the performance benefit, but the economic proposition certainly is much better when you've got very, very large uh, so we've got customers that are getting close to 100 terabytes or perhaps have crossed 100 terabytes. And at that level, this becomes a very powerful proposition. And I think why we expect some of the customers to be even in the you know, 20, 30, 40 terabytes to start to take advantage of, of this proposition in anticipation of the future growth. So you can have the architecture set and scale your environment. Um, and, and here is a, a cost comparison on the savings that you might get. So in, in the model that we ran here, it's two terabytes of data running at 100,000 operations per second. So this is clearly not hitting the performance curve where Redis can, uh, can support, but taking a much more of a mainstream application, a reasonable data set, uh, reasonable performance, and you can see from various comparison and alternate models on what the savings might be. So that is what I had um, set up as a, as a context, and, uh, and now we'll, uh, we'll shift and, and get to our panelists. So if I could uh, invite uh, uh, Jeremy, if I could have you come in and talk about, uh, you can either use the uh, cursor or go directly over there. Okay. Hello. A uh, little bit about C.H. Robinson. Uh, as said, it's a third-party logistics company, global company. We started over 100 years ago, uh, originally moving produce from local farmers into market. We've now, as I said, we're a global company. We try to streamline uh, global logistics and lower costs for everyone involved. Um, with doing that, we have some unique challenges. We have uh, moving across multiple countries, and we have to deal with the customs agencies of each, com each company, but as well as uh, weather patterns, road closures, 
unrest throughout the world. Um, all things are going to take their time to get the loads through. Which kind of brings us to why we started with Redis in the first place. Um, we had, we had these, these capabilities. Um, they worked well for us in the past, but as we continue to build up, we need to go faster, and we need uh, automated processes that need that data immediately. Uh, each time we had to go get this data, we get the vast majority of the data from the web. Um, our journey services is the one that we started with and why we brought in Redis, and we started looking at what, what we needed from it for journey service, we needed to go out to the web, we needed to get the distance from road to road, we needed hazards that come up, we needed closings that came up. This is for our trucking piece of our company. Um, we determined the best way to improve performance was to get the data closer, right? So each time we had to make a web call, it was a significant wait time where it took seconds at times, sometimes even longer, depending on what was happening with other companies. So we came up with a list of what we needed to do. It was pretty simple, as much as that I'm sure the vast majority of you would come up with as well. We needed it to be reliable. We needed to be able to hold tens of millions of rows um, and not slow down. We needed to have consistent millisecond latency, and it had to sustain itself no matter what through constant reads and writes, um, no matter what that really came to. That was what we went with. Um, our hardware costs had to go down significantly. We were coming from uh, main RDBMS uh, data stores. Um, pretty significant in hardware costs and spin up and setup. It takes quite a while. We, needed, we wanted to lower that. And we needed to have a minimal administration cost. We did not want to hire an entire new uh, data services department to administer Redis or anything else that we were coming in with. So Redis met the data store requirements um, wholeheartedly. Um, everything that we, that we went out to search um, Redis came up with. Uh, we tested out about seven different products before we decided on Redis. It, it just met all of our needs. And with the Redis Labs implementations, that gave us our low administration costs. We were able to get it spun up within a couple days. Uh, the administration team took it over about a day after that and have become quite efficient in dealing with Redis. Um, they've, they've commented on how intuitive it is to set it up, and they've really appreciated that there was, there was something that uh, was not as difficult that they had to spin up manually. So fr from that that, that, that resolved our issues with, with that, and we've duplicated that setup multiple times for web calls, locally caching that data. Um, millions of rows, some of them are almost up to 100 million, some are closer to about 30 million rows in the database. So we decided that this was working out well for us and we wanted to move forward and, and see what else we could do and speed up with it. So um, first thing we did was our stuff that you might think of uh, traditional caching things, our queues, um, session state for larger web apps, which, which actually really helped speed up um, those processes. We took them out of RDBMS and put them in here and it worked great. After that, we started to think of what we could really do with, with uh, this capability and how we could speed up some other things that we have, which is kind of where we are at now. Uh, we took our analytical searches and our data science processes and using it a little bit differently than we did before, but also holding in that um, predetermined data. So we have uh, machine learning algorithms that will determine data or just determine statistics from our processes and that will insert it into Redis so when we go to run those again, we don't have to keep going back to whatever it happens to be, the RDBMS, or else recalculate 
anything that we had already calculated. So that's where we're going to it now. Um, specifically with the data science stuff, what their uh, real issue was is that the data uh, sources that they were using was just taking too much time to return the data. So putting part of that data into Redis is, is completely spun up and changed how much work we can get done in a day and how quickly we can return that data to our clients. Um, so back to what the um, original use case is, is we have people on the floor who need to make determinations and make calls rather quickly. And so getting that information in front of them as quickly as possible is, is very critical. Um, with, without knowing that a lane is closed, it's going to mean a delay in the truck, it's going to mean a delay in getting that produce to market, and that produce may go rotten before it gets to market. Uh, that's a lot of cost associated to rotten food that's already happening in the world, so we s seek to try to speed up that process as much as possible. So that's what I got. Thank you. Thanks, Hi, I'm going to tell you a lot about Intuit and hopefully a little bit of time and then talk to you about what we've done with Redis. Uh, so Intuit has our four flagship products. They're all around finance and compliance for individuals and small businesses. Um, we're a 34-year-old startup. Uh, we really embrace that route or that, that uh, uh, the innovation uh, culture at Intuit. Um, it's just nice to have $5 billion of revenue behind that. Um, so I've been with Intuit for 15 years. Brad Smith and our CEO both started in 2002. And between the two of us, we've been doing a pretty good job keeping on, on record here as far as the uh, best place to work. Uh, Intuit really is a great place to work. They put a lot of focus on making sure that employees uh, are, ha have what they need to get, uh, get their job done and do the best work of their lives. Fantastic place to work. Um, and we've got a fantastic mission. Our old mission was, was quite a mouthful. Powering prosperity around the world really resonates with me. It's not really about money. It's about enabling the choice for you to do what you want with your time. Money definitely helps, and we'll help you save as much as we can. All right, Redis. Uh, I own the contact center domain. Um, this is the phones, the call center. Uh, the sexiest technology in the world. Um, they just recently heard about web services. Um, and so trying to bring the contact center into our service ecosystem has been a challenge. So uh, when we went to go uh, bring a services layer on top of our contact center, uh, it started as an experiment to say, can the dinosaurs of the industry uh, keep up with our volumes? Uh, so TurboTax is super, super, super spiky. Um, I can tell if you're getting money back from the IRS or if you owe money by IRS, if I, you know, don't raise your hands, by asking if you file your taxes in January or if you file your taxes in April. Most people file during those two times, and so when April 15th comes along and everybody's trying to get their taxes done at that last minute, we need to make sure that we're not standing in their way and that we're there to help them and complete before that filing deadline happens. Um, and so we have two key services that, that help us here uh, where we're, we're leveraging Reddish, appointments uh, and, and conversations. So when you are call in or, or need help, uh, whether that's through our phones or whether you're using our Smart Look application, uh, which allows you to frictionlessly engage with these experts, uh, we create a conversation with the REST API and we coordinate 
backend technologies through this service orchestration layer, uh, and we persist the state of those conversations and, uh, and appointments, which is simply just a promise to have a conversation later, uh, in Redis. Um, we started this experiment with a third-party uh, service to provide us the appointment functionality. Uh, you know, when the, the experiment first launched, uh, we used the, the relational database crutch, right? It's so easy to stand up a MySQL server and just throw data in there uh, without any regard to the fact that we have a very simple data set. Uh, and so very quickly, we, um, uh, I, 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 my engineers understood why I asked for Redis in the first place, uh, because the third-party appointment service needed a lot of help. We ended up caching almost everything from every call from the third-party service. Uh, and uh, it, rather than taking an approach where you're using a write, uh, just a write-through cache or read-through cache, uh, that database is, you're enrolling a, a, another dependency that's required to enable your system. And so with Redis Enterprise, we're able to store that data as a system of record without needing to uh, reach out to another system. Uh, so we brought that to scale um, after the, the first year. We replaced the, the appointment service entirely with, with our application in Redis, and that went away. Um, and where we are at right now is um, in embracing that success and, and, uh, and starting to break these services up and embrace fault isolation a little more. So right now, we have these services all using the same instance of Redis. We haven't had a performance reason to move, uh, but we're breaking them up for isolation, and we're uh, eager to experiment with the, the replication so that we can, rather than have uh, a hot standby, have an active-active uh, across, across regions uh, implementation. Uh, availability is absolutely critical, um, and the reason we're going with the enterprise version of Redis is because of that split-second failover time, the availability uh, and, and the replication that we get to replicate our data across sites without having to implement that ourselves. Um, for weird telephony private connectivity reasons, we are on-premise today um, and eagerly moving into, into the cloud <laughs> as those, uh, those requirements go away. Uh, so after breaking up our, into individual shards by, by service, breaking those microservices up and the, taking the, the, breaking the store up behind them, uh, we're also going to be breaking up by line of business and allowing those line of businesses to be isolated as well uh, and very eager to bring this into AWS where we want to be. Great. Thanks, Bill. So moving on. We're good? Can you hear me? Yes. Moving on to Scopely. Um, as Manish commented, we are a games uh, developer and publisher. We've been around for about, I guess, almost seven years as a company. I've been there for about six. We've been using Redis Labs for a long time, uh, since 2013, I think. I had said 2012. I think you weren't around in 2012, though. And so from very early days, um, we are all in mobile, all in AWS. Um, and uh, it's free-to-play gaming, which means uh, large numbers of users, uh, spiky game launches, and also a fair amount of cost sensitivity because uh, a lot of users aren't actually making an awful lot of money um, on an individual user basis. And so it's uh, a lot of the things motivate a little bit differently than might in other businesses. Um, 
And so I want to talk some around how we use Redis. We've, uh, we, you know, we as a company were born in the cloud, um, apart from a small dalliance with Azure in 2012. Um, we've been in AWS the entire time. And uh, from very early on, uh, we were using Redis for particular use cases. We started actually with matchmaking. Um, the, I think it's a fairly classic Redis as a, perf as a data structure store use case. Um, using uh, sorted sets for matchmaking as we introduced tournaments and actually the um, Redis-backed matchmaking for um, high, partici high participation tournaments, the tournaments with potentially millions of players um, and uh, with, uh, you know, I'm not sure how many entries per second we would peek at, but large numbers, particularly as tournaments would end, uh, have become a feature of all of our games since then. And uh, it's just sorted sets, really. Um, and they uh, doing that uh, in a safe manner yourself um, can be difficult. Redis Labs and Redis and in Redis Labs managed form of it uh, has worked uh, superbly for us. Um, for us, you know, Redis is a, uh, it's just a, a fact. Um, we, all of our teams uh, uh, in each of our studios tend to develop a deep understanding of their go-to data structures. And uh, so several, um, some of our games use Redis for job queues, um, using QList, more than using SQS than QList. But um, and then other teams just reach out to it whenever we have something that has a lot of, uh, a lot of spiky reads or writes. And so um, in our streaming data systems, we do, uh, which are built on top of Kinesis themselves, we do record item potents uh, using uh, sets in Redis. Uh, there's also a, a real-time metric system uh, that we built on top of Hyperloglog uh, in, in Redis as well that uh, provides us with about 80,000 real-time metrics on our games, uh, spiking at a, about 3.4 million events processed per, per minute. Um, and uh, that's worked really well for us also on top of, uh, on top of Redis. And uh, we also, you know, we treat it as a durable store. Um, there are some cases where we're using it as a cache sometimes, but we also feel comfortable with as a durable state store um, if we, if we, uh, if basically the access patterns and the data set size or the needs for particular data structures make Redis make sense, we are perfectly happy with it, in, in its, uh, with it being a durable store uh, because of something that I think uh, you were mentioning about Intuit and I think that Manish didn't sufficiently em emphasize which is that the default deployment strategy that you get with the, particularly the way Redis Labs deploys it, it gives you all of the benefits of just a, a perfectly configured Redis uh, deployment without any of the work of setting up your TWEM proxy and your failover and your client reconnections and all of the other things that I know theoretically exist, but I don't know how to do any of them. Um, and that's, our teams don't know either uh, because we've been just been paying someone to, to do it better than we want to learn uh, for the past five years. Um, and so when we look at workloads and database choices, uh, if it's spiky and it's not a, a very large, totally unbounded uh, data set, um, we'll probably go to Redis first um, because the teams are very comfortable with it and uh, it's straightforward, it's just provision on the database and it will not, uh, will not fall down uh, due to spiky workloads. There is some concern for sharding, of course, um, uh, because, uh, you know, even a single Redis instance cannot, you do need to have some starting strategy so you can cluster at some point, otherwise you'll be unhappy. Um, but uh, 
we, you know, were able to push uh, the data store a lot harder than we were able to do with Dynamo, which is basically the, the one other data store we use at Scopely. Um, we we're all Redis or DynamoDB. And um, we found it uh, to be highly, uh, highly reliable uh, in, these, in those use cases. Uh, we are, um, I had said that one of the things we consider for Redis is the size of the data set. We have evaluated um, the Redis on Flash and found that it's, it, it works. Um, it, uh, it, as advertised, um, with, for a little bit of performance penalty, you, we, you are able to sort of change the performance and cost profile and uh, uh, in a way that lets you continue to use that familiar set of data structures and APIs um, with a much larger data set than would otherwise be, uh, be feasible. Um, the picture on the screen is uh, from our real-time metrics alarming system. It's an old screenshot, but um, one of the, our use cases is just providing um, uh, you know, operational visibility to anything that might be going wrong in one of our games. Um, as I said, we've been using uh, Redis Labs as version of Redis. I think basically from the beginning, I believe we may have run a Redis instance of our, cell, of our own at some point before uh, signing up with Redis Labs, although it didn't last long. Uh, and so we've, we uh, have allowed our teams to just basically see Redis as this well-maintained by someone else that we didn't have to actually keep on stuff uh, system that will not fall down and that has uh, a you know a very uh, you know great performance characteristics and uh, and pricing that works for us and so um, what's what that's left us with is that now you know six years in we have a very Redis-centric organization. Although, I mean, we really, we really don't know much about uh, Redis deployment strategies, and I think I'm totally okay with that, um, because uh, we are, our teams are very much more focused on application structure and understanding how to use um, that other complexity layer of Redis, which is understanding how to map uh, your business problems onto the data structures, or the, these days, modules, and uh, before that, Lua that you could use inside Redis, and that's where we, we develop our expertise instead. Um, one little call out there that is actually one of the things that, uh, one of the reasons early on we used Redis Labs was that it was first to market with clustering, um, and to this day, the fact that the clustering in their, their version of it, or the version we use, um, is, uh, supports regex-based clustering, has been very helpful, a bit of a lifesaver for times when we've, uh, we've had to uh, uh, we've had to switch a Redis database from non-clustered to clustered and uh, without changes, without having to make changes to the application by just identifying the regexes on which we could, uh, you know, split the data set. Um, the default one, you have to sort of, your keys have to have these curly braces in them to say what to cluster on, I think. I've never used that version, though. So, that's me. Great. Thanks, Alvin. Well, we have a good 25 minutes, so I'd like to make this interactive. As questions come up, just raise your hand. We have a mic uh, we can pass around. Uh, I'll kick off some of, the, some of the conversation here. First of all, how many of you are actually using Redis today? Very good. And how many of you that raise their hands are using open source Redis? 70%, 60 70%. Very good. Let me... Uh,
Let me just start by asking the, the panelists basic question on, you know, you've talked about selecting Redis and Redis Enterprise uh, for much more than a cache. Uh, I suspect most of you know Redis and are using as cache, yeah? Yep, I see a lot of... Uh, uh, but more and more we find in, in our customer base, you know, we're hitting to a point where 50% or in use cases, actually more than 50% are becoming primary database utilization of Redis, Redis Enterprise. Um, you know, in your journey, uh, Avram, Bill in particular, um, you know, as you think about your choice of Redis and Redis Enterprise, uh, and if you were to look at the environment that exists today and choices that you have, uh, would you do it differently than what you did maybe two years ago, Avram, in your case, maybe four years ago? So, um, like Avram, my team started with open source Redis, and we actually did invest the time in uh, understanding how to create clusters and how to do an open source implementation of Redis, and it still ended up being two-minute failover time, and that didn't meet our needs. Um, so. Um, we still need the performance of an in-memory store. We still need, um, you know, that level of, of fault tolerance and high availability. So I would uh, go the same direction today. But uh, we're always have both eyes open. <laughs> um, I think we continue to choose Redis. Um, there are, you know, the the marketplace keeps shifting, and there's a lot of really exciting things happening. Um, and you know, everything from you know, Dynamo keeps getting better, more databases are out there. Um, that said, you know, we we keep choosing Redis for new services. We're pretty comfortable with it. Um, you know, we you know, we don't use it for absolutely everything that it could do. Um, but um, no, I think for the particularly for the those core things we use it most for, like I was saying, the you know, leaderboards and our real time analytics those systems, it's uh, it's pretty stellar at that, and um, I don't know. Not a lot would change, probably. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. Um, you know, let's think about implementation in, in, in a primary database capacity, and you add incremental use cases to it. Um, internally, the organizations, the appreciation for Redis, for Redis Enterprise, uh, would probably vary quite a bit. Uh, if you were to pick two or three things, and you've touched upon a couple, what parameters tend to be that decision maker that here's a new use case, we would like to use Redis Enterprise for primary database? What, what are the things that jump out as one, two, and, and three, perhaps? Bill, if you want to start with that. So in addition to the fault tolerance and high availability, our ability to uh, do, do seamless, uh, grow seamlessly and shard, um, you know, online while <laughs> when we need to make that decision was definitely yeah. a part of choosing the, the, the Redis Enterprise. Okay. Any different views our room? I mean, the, the choice of it as primary database, I, I gave the primary inputs to that, which is usually, I mean, it, it can handle uh, within some degree of reason very hot, um, very hot keys, and uh, that's something that isn't the case for other systems, and so that, that more than anything else, that tends to drive things toward Redis for us. Um, none of our other options on the table, like DynamoDB, um, can, you know, would be happy with the degree of hot writing uh, that we can get away with in Redis. Um, maybe it's not always a, a good application design when we're doing that, but get away with it for longer. <laughs> okay. 
You know, I'm going to pull back a little bit. Uh, the trends that we are all living in today, things are moving to microservices architecture, right? Everything is, uh, you, I, don't, I don't know if any modern day application where you've got a monolithic uh, architecture, it's all broken down into uh, much, much smaller uh, uh, microservices. Um, maybe Jeremy, we'll start with you. You have a perspective on what you see internally at, as the new apps getting developed, contemplation, and how uh, perhaps Redis uh, Enterprise might fit into that uh, thought process. Sure, uh, I mean, with, <clears throat> with every single one of our new applications that come up, we definitely um, not, 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 not even just think about using Redis, but it's, it's part of the, the tool set that should really be um, utilized. We use it to, 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 ca to cache that data, but the retrieval of the data, if we keep the hot data up in Redis, it's, it's, it's very fast, and, and that's, absolutely what we need. So it's, it's critical to business going forward, applications going forward, and our design structure for them. So it's for sure. And in the context of microservices, do you find that to be a, a good fit? Yeah, I mean, especially in the context of microservices, I mean, this, this stuff um, needs to run faster and faster and needs to have a smaller and smaller footprint. Uh, we, our hardware costs are something that we're always looking at and uh, utilizing the Redis, especially when it comes to microservices, enables us to keep that database footprint down while still providing some structure. Okay. Bill? Uh, speed. It's, it's all about speed. Um, so uh, I feel this a little um, uh, e even more in real-time communications uh, because we're involved in actually switching phone calls on and off. Um, a couple of milliseconds of latency in a phone call is something you really, really notice. Um, but when you are embracing microservices, it's the aggregate latency of all of the smaller calls that you're doing that add up to the full latency of the experience of the customer. So um, making each of those calls fast is critical. I think for microservices, the, the aspect of Redis and the way we use it that is most interesting is, the, is that in the way that Redis Labs, at least the cloud one we're using, we're in which product name, I don't remember. Redis uh, Enterprise. Redis Enterprise <laughs> Cloud Private something. Uh, we uh, were able to have databases defined relatively, with relative granularity um, and uh, where it's straight, it's so straightforward to just create separate databases that it's easy to resist the temptation to even for multiple uh, multiple use cases within a single application to have them be actually in separate databases from the Redis's perspective, um, and it it makes it easier to be more disciplined about isolation, um, which will protect you from you know particularly in the world of Redis where you know each instance at least is single threaded. Um, you won't have weird, uh, unexpected contention, um, which is a risk otherwise. I will say, we pref our preferred uh, development model for most of our game backends is monolithic um, with discipline and well-isolated data stores within it. But we find that it, uh, it simplifies the development cycle. Um, most of our non-game systems are not monoliths. But. Got it. Good. Right. Right. Um, and I'm going to step back and pull it. By the way, if there are any questions, please do raise your hands. Question, yeah. I have one question for Avril. When you made a choice between DynamoDB or Cypher, which is very similar, versus Redis, what was your uh, thinking? Why would you go towards Redis versus uh, Cypher? 
I'm going to repeat the question for the benefit of the audience. The question was, uh, with the, uh, given the choice between on the one hand, things like Cassandra and IMDb, or Redis on the other hand, when or why are we choosing Redis? Um, we choose Dynamo to be a lot. Um, you know, we, we, we certainly do. Uh, you know, uh, that said, um, uh, we, both of them can be really easy to use for us because the, you know, we've, in our, in our case, for example, our little help, helper libraries for, for even using, uh, you know, for, we actually have some of the let's just write, use basically that object mapper model that, from Java that you can use with uh, with DynamoDB, you write basically the same thing for to Redis, and it doesn't really care which one is backed by. Um, and so we have teams that don't think about that much. Let's pick one. Um, but we usually will choose Redis when it's when we're expecting some that higher the higher throughput, um, and uh, when it's a somewhat capped data set. So it's not going to be a ledger of you know, you know, 100 million entries a day and growing forever, and we want to keep all of them in this one database. Um, that's an inefficient way, inefficient way to use memory. Maybe that would change with our on Flash, but even then, like, NVMe is more expensive than a Dynamo record that you don't ever read, um, which is just like S3 cost at that point. Um, but yeah. I'll, I'll add a couple of things to that. Um, you know, we find the economics tend to be a big driver. And particularly in combination of RAMP plus Flash that uh, Redis Enterprise can run in now, um, there's a, a drastic difference. I uh, showed one chart earlier uh, in some of the comparisons. Economics is certainly one. The second thing, we find uh, enterprises are starting to do a lot of hyper performance. And so if you've got uh, you know, stuff running in AWS, but you've got certain use cases running on premises, and some that you want to run in the, in the workload in a hybrid mode, um, the Redis Enterprise is that seamlessly. Uh, it's a very elegant deployment uh, model. Uh, so seamless scaling, uh, ease of management, and of course the end economics tend to be kind of the drivers there. Any other questions from the audience? Ah. This one back there, turn all the way back. Talked about analytics. So what type of analytics use cases are we talking about? And I have a corollary to that question. I think you mentioned something about secondary indexes. So you, you were suggesting Redis becomes a secondary index, or do you have native support for secondary index? Just want to clarify on that one. Yeah. So it was a little bit of echo, so I'm going to try to repeat. There were two questions. Uh, the first question was, what type of analytics does, do people use for with Redis Enterprise? And the second one was uh, secondary indexing. Right? How is Redis uh, or Redis Enterprise used for that? Let me take the, the second one. I'll get to the first. So on secondary indexing, you can take data from any data set uh, that's sitting on whatever database you're using. If you want to improve the response time of the queries you want to run on the data set, you'll simply create a secondary index of that data in Redis Enterprise and then run the query on it. That's kind of the, the model or use case where you'd get the performance uh, the chart I showed earlier. So that's the first one. On analytics, that is actually the, the broadest use case that we see. Uh, and in con yeah. So, so let me talk about, you know, you can have a very basic analytics use case where you're simply doing, let's say, sorted sets is being used to show a leaderboard on who's running. That's, that's kind of one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum might be you've got uh, a model that's uh, really AI and ML environment, 
And you may have trained the, the algorithm on TensorFlow, on Spark, or one of the you know, 50 different uh, uh, training uh, environments. And the problem, what happens is when you serve that model to the application, there is a big mismatch between the environments that can train the model and then the environments that are actually serving to the application. So the, the ideal model most of our use cases and customers do is they would take a Spark engine or TensorFlow as the training environment, layer Redis Enterprise on top of that as a serving layer for the application, and that combination is the perfect combination because now you've got a serial, single-threaded, iterative, high, super high-performance, low-latency way to serve that complex model to the application, whereas you can continue to evolve the model in what's you know, a Spark, the parallel processing horsepower for it, right? That's sort of a, so those are kind of two spectrums and everything in between. Uh, I talked about the hybrid transaction and analytics environment, right? Where you're trying to inform the transaction with the combination of data that perhaps is historical data and real-time data that's feeding in. A credit card transaction is a, is a great example of that, right? You don't want to authenticate a transaction if the recent account balance has been depleted, whereas perhaps the credit history is good enough, right? So you want both data sets to be informed with what was there a week ago with the transaction that perhaps happened 30 minutes ago, right, or, or even five seconds ago. So that combination, so that would be, I would say, somewhere in the middle. So transactions is, uh, or, or I'm sorry, uh, analytics is, is by far the most uh, important segment of use cases that we serve with Redis Enterprise. Yeah, so encryption um, in transit is supported, and then we have customers that do that. For encryption data and REST, we work with third parties to support that. That is not something that comes as a built-in capability of Redis uh, Enterprise, but the transit support for uh, various levels is available, yeah. Security. Um, you know, so security on this is uh, you heard the first question on encryption, so for data transit support encryption, we have SSL support um, and all the standard administrative level support. Uh, so this is not necessarily any different than a standard, you know, any database that we have, and uh, we don't tout uh, any advanced address security measures on top of uh, what what you would expect naturally. Um, you know, there is one thing uh, I wanted to touch upon as um, Active Active announcement is, uh, is, is a new, a fresh announcement. We've had about 20 customers in preview that are now moving into uh, a, a production environment. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about, uh, and, and Avram and Bill, both of you have looked at or starting to look at that a little bit. Um, Avram, if we can start with you. Your perspective on, in your genre of games, uh, what does the geo-distribution look like? Uh, you know, how vast is that? And what can you see the potential for that uh, from a Redis Enterprise deployment standpoint? Right. 
Um, at the moment, most of our, actually all of our games are, are individually operated out of a single um, region each. They're not all in the same region, but our Scopely had historically taken sort of a portfolio risk model to this, sort of balancing the overall company risk by distributing things um, around regions. Um, but the games uh, do tend to have an increasingly global audience. Um, it depends on the game to some degree. Um, the Walking Dead in particular has had um, a lot more success in Asia than other games of ours. And at that point, um, you know, the question of whether you bite the bullet and, and do the legwork to have an international, uh, you know, a, a globally distributed um, game backend, both from a uh, availability as well as from a uh, just a performance standpoint is something to look at more seriously um, and so particular as I said that our two biggest data source data stores are our Redis and IMDb um, this is a ma very magical week for us um, <laughs> because uh, in the past three days I found out that these two big hard problems that I was afraid that if we want to take them on we'd have to revisit all of our data store choices um, we don't anymore um, so pretty excited that maybe we can just press some buttons and spend a lot of time <laughs> and move games as appropriate and, and probably um, some of the publishing systems that support all of the games to a more globally distributed uh, uh, approach um, without radically revisiting um, the, the types of technologies we've chosen because they are uh, they're moving ahead too. So um, we're, we're pretty thrilled. That's great. Bill, anything to add? Uh, so we, we've used one-way replication for since the inception, since we started using Red, uh, uh, Redis Enterprise, uh, and that's worked great for us. We have proactively and reactively switched between data centers. Uh, we're really excited to uh, try this in um, small scope for the for the data types that are supported today, uh, and see where we can get uh, get some leverage there. Once all the data types are, are supported, we're we're really excited to to leverage that. Okay, great. Jeremy, do you see in your environment and how you're set up where uh, this might become a need uh, in the future? Yeah, I mean, being a, a global company, we're definitely going to have to, we definitely move our data around the world and the speed at which people can access that data is, is critical. So, I mean, it's definitely going to be something on the, the board to talk about. All right, good. Um, I don't see any hands up. Um, I'm going to up-level the conversation and, and see if, uh, this is about more of a generic. Um, uh, we've got three experts here. Um, you, you see the data and the transformation and migration of the data from relational to non-relational. Just, you know, everyday enterprises are producing more unstructured than structured data. That's just the nature of the beast, right? Um, are there particular types of use cases where you see that happen first? Is there other leading indicators or use cases which are the forefront of that migration? Uh, and Aram, we'll start, start with you if you're seeing anything. I'm kind of a bad person to start with. Um, we have generally tried to stay away from relational data, data approaches um, all along. Um, and so even when we were using MySQL a little bit more earlier on, it was on, under strict uh, no joins, no transactions rules. Um, and uh, in which case, I mean, how relational are you talking? Um, and so I, I declined to answer the question. I've never, we did not do that transformation. Okay. <laughs> Bill? Uh, I mean, so Intuit has uh, lots and lots and lots and lots of data. Um, and we use relational and non-relational stores. We use a wide variety of solutions for each of those. 
um, you know, uh, when you get into a microservices uh, architecture and you truly have isolated data, uh, then by nature, less of it is relational. Um, and so um, that's definitely a thing. For me, it's state machines are a super straightforward first step. Yep. Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, for, uh, we've noticed, I mean, it depends on the development cycle and stuff like that, but almost every piece of data that we have is, is open for the discussion of it belongs in Redis. Um, I guess we don't see it as right now as our primary data store because we do have a, a long history of RDBMS, but it, it does enhance what we can accomplish with our data stores, and that's really what we're focusing on. So pretty much, yeah, there's no data that's off limits yeah. to it. So. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, we've, we've talked a little bit about um, this potential issue of uh, cloud lock-in, uh, where you've got all the services on a single cloud. Is that an issue, non-issue? For the audience, uh, I'm not sure if this is a topic, but I'm hearing more of these uh, conversations. I know it's an AWS event, but <laughs> oh, I'll ask the question anyway. Um, I'm trying to remember the, the party line on this. Um, so, <laughs> so Intuit is, is very committed to, to AWS, um, and you know, the, we think that the trade-off, you know, we've made a conscious decision, but the trade-off in uh, in speed that you get by selecting Amazon and their ecosystem services is, is worth the, uh, the risk in lock-in there. Yep. Um, we are consciously locked in. I remember there was uh, questions that some people in leadership of the company had after the big Dynamo outage year, two years ago, and sort of like, oh, maybe we should you know, be multi-cloud or is Amazon up to the task of supporting Scopely? I was like, no, really, they're up to the task of supporting Scopely, don't worry. Um, and we're, you know, we're very conscious of where we've made these choices and we, um, to be locked in. Uh, and we were talking about this at lunch yesterday and you know, the, we're locked in for the purposes of the next, of the, all the current projects, it would be very difficult to move them. You know, if, push came to shove and we didn't like what it looked like, three years from now, we would start new projects, maybe would do them differently. But right now, I mean, if you're going to be in AWS, I mean, why would you want to use sort of like the, the just the little bits of it that are general? <laughs> you might as well take a strong advantage of it um, and, uh, you know, and continue obviously to look around to understand the diversity of options in the market, but also take full advantage of the ones that you've already you already have at your fingertips. Um, we need the velocity today. Yeah. Sure. Um, I think what what you're finding uh, across our customer base is uh, they tend to start one place and might just stay there, but they if they want to hedge the bets, so to say, or mitigate the risk. Uh, they're putting different use cases in, in a cloud A versus cloud B, and that, that's one way of hedging. Of course, it creates um, you know, a level of complexity on how you manage it and what you parse out and so on, and it's more difficult. Uh, we tend to provide Redis Enterprise a platform that's cloud agnostic, premise, premise agnostic, so all deployment models, and you can run them uh, in a multi-cloud environment as well. So I see we're down to um, under a minute. Any last questions before we uh, do the raffle here? Okay. All right, Sharon, shall we uh, just do the raffle? 
Well, looks like everybody turned in the cards. Yep. That's great. Milan Parikh uh, from International Flavors and Fragrances. Congratulations. <laughs> Flowers and, no. Flavors, Flavors and fragrances. <laughs> Congratulations. There you go. Thank you very much. Yeah, welcome. Gentlemen, thank you very much. And thank you all for your time and your attention today.